Oh, welcome to Thomas Coughlin from the New Zealand Herald to the weekly Hoon of Wonks. It's great to see you, Thomas. Great to see you too, Ben. Good afternoon. Hmm. And a glorious day it is out there now. It feels like that first lockdown period. Remember in March and April of uh, 2020, and when we had we were all at home and it was it was lovely. But now two years on, <laughs> it's not quite so lovely anymore. We've got Omicron ripping through the country and filling up our hospitals and a war in Ukraine. Uh, and let's start off with the, the politics of it. Um, two years ago, the prime minister was the most popular she'd ever been. At this point, two years ago, the government was headed towards 50%. But last night, we got a poll from uh, TVNZ Kenta showing that for the first time since the 2020 election, National is ahead of Labour, 39 to 37. How the times have changed. How the times have changed. I think, um, yeah, I mean, it's funny when you when you think about 2019 uh, and 20, early 2020, this, this poll would have been um, would have been remarkable for a different reason, which is that it still has it would have had national quite low. You know, there was there were those rumours swirling around that Judith Collins would roll Simon Bridges if National's polling ever fell into her duties. <laughs> and now National's on on thirty nine, and everyone's like, "Oh, it's a miracle! It's an absolute miracle!" And I suppose it is. It shows. I mean, it does show what you know an incredible job Christopher Luxon's done, and and, and kind of. Um, stopping National from shooting itself on the foot um, anymore. I mean, he hasn't, it's incredible here because he hasn't actually really done that because obviously more MQ and Harate Hepango have continued to shoot themselves on the foot. One wonders how many feet they have left. Um, but um, but it, it, it shows they are in contention again. I think, and I've heard a few commentators say this um, recently as well, it's that old adage of, of elections aren't really won, they're lost. I think you know Christopher Luxon's done done a good job of again instilling a wee bit more discipline. You don't get the leaking that you used to do. Um, you know, uh, you, you don't have those kind of um, just dramatic moments on the nightly news uh, that, that you used to do uh, under pre previous leaders. But I also think Labour Labour's probably got to look at itself and think about the retail a bit bit, bit more retail um, politics, particularly with the cost of living, cost of living stuff. I mean, we can debate about how transitory it is, but it's definitely hurting people. Um, inflation's definitely hurting people, and um, and and Labour seems to be fighting political fires on things like tree, tree waters reform, stuff that is important uh, and, and and crucial and key to some sort of agenda. But there's no kind of sense of like, what are you doing to make my life better? And and I think I saw a video the Prime Minister put up last night, which almost looked like it was put up in response to the poll, and she talked about the. Yeah, the um, free trade agreement with the with the UK as being one of the great things I've done in the last few weeks. And you're <laughs> like, you know, if you're a family that yeah. can't afford a fee-based electric car that's vulnerable to the price rises in petrol, and the prime minister says, "But hey, you know, we've got a free trade agreement yeah, yeah. with the UK." It's fantastic. The, the guy who owns a vineyard can sell his wine for ten cents a ten pence a bottle cheaper. Yeah, ex exactly, exactly. And you, you're just like. You know, the, I think the government only really has itself to blame when, you know, the, the, this poll took in the weekend and I think it started on Thursday last week. So it took in a lot of the tax cut period. And I think the government really has itself to blame for the fact that these tax cuts probably had some cut through in that poll and they've got no real, you know, thing to answer it. Now, the tax cuts are probably going to be inflationary. 
tax cuts, it's, it's arguable whether they're going to make much of a difference to people in an inflationary environment. But if you've got tax cuts on one side and nothing on the other side offered by Labour, then you can't really blame a lot of voters for saying, actually, you know what? I'll take my luck. I'll try my luck with the tax cut. Yeah, I need the cash right now. Need the cash. And, um, and the Prime Minister responding by saying that there wasn't a crisis, that um, yes, it was, some people were feeling as if it was a crisis. And don't worry, there's some extra money coming on April 1st with some extra benefit money. We've got the minimum wage uh, coming through. Uh, but I, I have to say, it felt a sort of a weak response, in part because those decisions about the minimum wage and the April 1 benefit cuts, they were announced last May, back when the yeah. price of regular 91 was $2 a litre. So it's... Um, they haven't really responded yet to this massive increase in the costs of fuel and food and rent. Uh, and it, it feels like they've been caught on the hop a bit. I, I get a feeling whenever I watch and, and listen that there is this whole locked in feeling of it's all about COVID. We've got to get through COVID. We've just got to hold tight, squeeze it in. And then once COVID's through, then we can get back to it. And in the process, um, New Zealand has essentially banked the benefits of uh, not being wiped out by COVID like everyone else was last year. And now they're looking ahead and going, okay, sure, mm -hmm. I'm not dead, but and I can't afford to fill, fill the car. Well, actually, that's, and the Prime Minister made that point um, uh, in a way in the House the other day. I think Grant Robertson was getting a grilling from Act on nurses' pay um, obviously, you know, nurses are, are underpaid and, and he was getting some pressure on and uh, um, on, on the, the amount of money as a finance minister he was willing to allocate that to, to nurses' pay. The Prime Minister popped up with a supplementary question, kind of a, a classic question time tactic where you put a, put a patsy supplementary question where she basically said, um, do you think the New, Zealand, the New Zealand nurses would trade their lives with foreign nurses um, given what the government has done to make sure that nurses have a, a safe operating environment because of the government's COVID policy. Sort of saying, well, look, New Zealand nurses are, are underpaid, but hey, at least they're not dealing with as much COVID as nurses overseas have made. And you, you're like, you know, it's not, it's like, it's not an unfair argument. You know, it's not, it's not untrue. Like the government has done a lot to protect the lives of nurses, but you're also like, if that's all that you've got is, is hey, look, we're sorry you're underpaid, but you're not dead. It's not like... <laughs> That's that's a that's you can see why there's just that that is not a strong argument going into an election I think because like you you know you say what it's kind of what Michael Cullen used to say is that voters quite rightly they bank the wins and then they go out for more yeah exactly and um, you know right now there's a bunch of young nurses in Wellington and Auckland who are thinking actually uh, it's dangerous for me right now inside the wards I'm full up I haven't had a holiday. I'm exhausted. The government still hasn't um, agreed a proper pay deal. And I can get a much higher wage, and everyone wants me over in Australia, and they've gone through their own outbreak, and I can afford to rent a two-bedroom apartment for $100 less than in Wellington. And that's interesting. Now that the borders are open, how much we'll, we'll see people who have been starved of an OE for a couple of years um, have seen the relative... Uh, um, wages and rents in Australia and New Zealand, mm. not to mention London, uh, improve overseas. Um, maybe they'll think, yeah, I'm not 
dead here. I won't be dead over there, but uh, I can afford the rent and I'll be able to finally have my OE. Yeah, I mean, I'll be, it's, it's one of those things um, that we won't, everyone's kind of talking about, but there's no sort of hard data on, on what. I mean, and we, we famously know that everyone's immigration, net uh, migration statistic uh, forecasts are terrible and unreliable. And I think I was looking at um, Treasury's FSM the other day, and I think that they're expecting net migration to when when the when things open up again to get back to 30,000, 40,000, which is their long long run average, which has but just been wrong. It's just so they're so so wrong. Um, but I you know I I, I yeah it's 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 and all anecdotal at this stage, but um, but you got to say particularly with the Australia is so close, they pay nurses what everyone so much more. And the cost of living over there is much um, much lower. It's actually, there's a great Twitter thread going around, not about Australia, but um, about the, the price of groceries in the UK. They're having this grocery debate, like we're having a grocery debate. But man, you can you can get some very cheap groceries in the, in the UK. So <laughs> someone, should, someone should order that online. Do they deliver? Um. I know, I know. If there's, if there's one, maybe we can have the supermarkets recolonize so they can't have the rest of the country back, but if we could just have British supermarkets. <laughs> You know, Aldi yeah. and Asda and, and Waitrose be great. Yeah. Um, now, the, the government has been doing some stuff this week, um, apart from uh, COVID. Uh, we've got the Three Waters Governance Group coming back to the minister with a proposal to give uh, um, apparent shares in these four new uh, water units to the councils. And the only thing they can do with these shares, because they can't, um, sell them uh, uh, is is to stop others from privatizing units. So it hasn't really won everyone over. How much of an issue do you think Three Waters is for the government? Now it looks like that the legislation is not going to get through in time before the council elections, and certainly these things might be up and running by then. Yeah, I think a few a few issues there, like the the fact it's a. I think the government kind of has an easy way out of this as well. Is that the biggest, the the the, the biggest opponent is Auckland, and Auckland, like it's the, all the the case that Auckland makes to be excluded from from these uh, reforms is a strong one. Um, Auckland, all, all Auckland has essentially gone through what three waters reform is. It's, it's am, amalgamated its water um, water services. And it has a CCO which is able to um, to to um, it has a CCO which is able to, to levy water charges, which it does, um, and and it manages yeah it manages this um, very efficiently. So it has, the, the government has a has a has a kind of carve out there, which is I suppose a get out of jail free card, I suppose, which is um, the ability to exempt Auckland from the reforms, which I suspect it will do. The other, the other councils, or I suspect it might consider, the other councils that are opposed are smaller. Timaru, you know, I don't really think that, that there are many votes for Labour in Timaru, although it won the electorate this year, yeah. this last election. Yeah. Um, but I don't think Labour's terribly concerned about that. It'll be interesting to see whether they, whether they push forward or whether they slow them down because they are, they are fairly unpopular. Um, yeah. I think it's sort of that old Shakespeare quote, I'm in blood so fast deep already that to go back would be as tedious as going oh i think that's the sort of you know they're, they're halfway across the river now they yeah. go to the other side yeah because it 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 feels uh, out in provincial new zealand that this idea this is a secret takeover by iwi is embedded 
and is resonating uh, and the government can't really address it um, other than to try to dismiss it. Yeah. Uh, and um, I do wonder whether that Auckland carve-out can happen, given the reason that I see for Three Waters is to create four new balance sheets with four new uh, streams of revenues from water charges, and then to gear them up with extra debt to ensure that um, water infrastructure is built for new housing. Mm. The problem with Auckland and um, not being able to uh, or trying to, to carve it out is that then you also carve out the assets. And the problem for Auckland, uh, and the reason why they're fighting it so hard, I, I understand, is that they've essentially used those water assets as a, uh, a great way to subsidise rates and the, um, uh, the rest of the council balance sheet. So in effect, um, the rates um, have been in a way subsidised by higher water charges and also mm. the um, because the debt from the water is mm. not carved off uh, and in a separate CCO, in effect, um, the ratings agency isn't treating it as a separate um, debt-raising entity and therefore Auckland, uh, which is wedded to its AA credit rating has been very restrictive in terms of um, raising debt for water. And that's one of the reasons we've got so few extra houses built is that they've been very tight with their water infrastructure in terms of growth. They've obviously done a lot of repairs and their big interceptors going in. But um, my reading of Three Waters actually is that it's, it's mostly about creating those balance sheets to do um, off-balance sheet, non-core crown debt issuance, and to stick with the core crown debt, thirty percent of GDP target, uh, and and not to actually have the discussion with voters and ratepayers about how they need to have slightly higher rates and/or slightly higher taxes to service slightly, well, quite a lot higher debt, about one hundred and fifty billion over thirty years. And I, um, I, th I think until the government actually acknowledges that they're going to really struggle to get this through because the councils understandably see it as an asset grab and also the ones who haven't put in water charges know that the first thing those water entries are going to do is start charging water and yes what well, i thought from memory i think the carpety carpety council started to charge for water implemented metering and i think that led to nearly every yeah. councillor on that council <laughs> voted off at the next election yeah and it's, it's, yeah it's the reason that tauranga is in such a mess and that interesting news today from mm. uh, nanaya mahuta that she's extending the commission's power uh into 2023 which essentially means that Tauranga um isn't going to bother to have any local government elections and um that is um yeah, that's another sign where water charges will get you voted out. And, and that's why part of the reason why Three Waters was created. And that, mm. I think the government's a little bit surprised that all the councils have fought so hard to keep their assets when um, the councils must know that in the next 20 years they're going to have to spend a lot of money. And also that um, uh, they can happily blame the water entities when the water charges come in and not have mm. to take the blame for it themselves. But, yeah, it's uh, an interesting... like. I suppose when you look at where to go from here, the other 
the government's gone down, gone so far down the route of the four, you know, they've got the number of the entities that they want to, to do, which is four, um, they've designed this, this um, complicated structure to allow the four entities to be owned by the councils that sort of, you know, the, the, the assets are not literally being confiscated, they are being taken, and you've and you, you know, got to say splitting hairs. Um, I like the analogy of, of someone, you know, it's like a car that someone takes for a drive, but you still own it all the time. It's, you know, it's, it is a bit like that. Um, but but I, like it's, the government has gone so far down the road of, of this particular model, it's hard to see it um, pivoting to a radically different model. Like uh, the, the councils, um, some councils have commissioned some modelling from Castilla, a, a modelling firm, which has suggested that, that you could actually get by with with sl just slightly altering the status quo, and they've sort of um, they've they've basically gone to war with the um, WICs from Scotland, the Scottish modelling which the DIA used for the uh, to justify the the reforms in their current form. Um, so there is there is quite a lot of debate in that local government world about how accurate the the, the kind of counterfactual that the government is putting forward is, because the government's effectively saying, you know, if you don't do these three waters reforms, then you know, an 180, $180 billion debt um, sledgehammer is coming your way. Um, and, and the councils have, have um, you know, found their own consultants. Your consultants always win, and that's, which have come to a different conclusion. But but the government's so far down this route with the current three waters model that it's, it's really hard, to, it's really difficult and possible to see it sort of pivoting. Mm. So the only, the only likely outcome I could see, which isn't the government following through, is the government just sort of kicking it to the long grass and, in which case um, we have a water regulator which is um, operating now and you kind of end up with a water regulator and um, and councils that um, that cannot uh, that don't have the money to meet the standards that the water regulator requires which is you know effectively the, the national party position which is to support the water regulator but not the reforms yeah and I guess at some point at some point the national party is probably going to have to come around to the idea of topping up council budgets with um, with money, which would then go to three waters. Which yeah, they, is have, sort of, they have talked yeah. about some sort of infrastructure bank um, yeah. lending to these councils. But in a way, it's the same old problem. You're, you're trying to um, borrow money to solve a problem which requires water charges. And unless you've got control of the ability to impose water charges, you're not going to be able to borrow much. And uh, frankly, the government should be using its own balance sheet. The simplest way to solve this problem is for the crown to borrow money for assets which in essence are guaranteed by the crown anyway as we saw up in Mangafai um, when the council basically went broke and the government stepped in so um, yeah it, it will keep uh, rumbling on and it's part of the um, provincial pain that's rippling through into into the government's um, popularity yeah now, the other there was some interesting polling just to finish Bernard there's some interesting polling about how much people dislike three waters and whether they understood three waters and I, I think it was a Torbert Mills poll that got leaked a little while ago and and I still think I, I, a large number of voters did not understand it and those who said those who claimed to understand it um, slightly supported it so it's it's one. I mean, explaining is always losing. I, I really think that is that is true. It's one of the rules that, since working in politics, I think is a is a is a is true. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things that it's so difficult to to explain to people, and the government is just having its ass kicked because other people are explaining its voters for them. Yeah, which is that it's an asset grab. Yeah, yeah. So um, the other big thing that happened this week in the sort of uh, crossover between government and um, 
business, other organizations, of course, was the Commerce Commission's uh, report into the groceries sector. So um, this should really have been a, a good news story for the government to push back on the uh, cost of living debate, um, being able to uh, kick the supermarkets for being at least partly responsible for all this inflation that we've got. Yet the Commerce Commission essentially um, watered down its quite hairy um, uh, draft report and the government shook its fists a bit. Um, but in essence, uh, a whole bunch of um, consumer advocates and others are saying this actually won't make, make a difference. So uh, yet again, um, good talk, but not a lot of action or follow through, which is one of the points that the opposition is getting some resonance with. Um, lots of announcements about announcements, but no houses on the ground or, or mm. reductions in your grocery bill. Yeah, I sort of wonder, I wonder, um, I mean, the government, it's, of all weeks for the government to have a kind of wet bus ticket report on cost of living stuff, this is a terrible week for that to happen. I mean, it would have been ideal for the government to be able to have this bullshit kind of final report, which just says, you know, we're going to kick you guys into, blow, blow you guys into smithereens and really, really get some proper competition going to reduce prices. But that's not, that's not what the report said. Um, unlike, see, unlike the fuel market study, which seemed to have very obvious kind of um, solutions, the, the supermarket, the, 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 the draft report, which was released earlier, everything that, was, that, that looked quite, um, everything that looked quite ag aggressive uh, seemed to be something that would be politically unpalatable, like a government-owned supermarket, and I just, you know, with, with Labour facing up perpetual allegations of communism, um, which is, you know, and you've got to say, like, if they're com if they're communists, they're not very good. <laughs> they're very bad communists. Um, Communism's getting a bit of a bad rap at the moment, I have to say. Yeah, um, well, it is. I got to say, house prices were not this high in Soviet <laughs> Russia. They were not. They were not this high. No, and and yeah, no. Um, I won't make any jokes about what's happening to house prices in Ukraine. But yes. um, um, but, and then there's breaking them up, breaking up the supermarkets as well. That's a very you know that's 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 it that, makes that, makes people really tired when they even think about it. And I suspect yeah. one of the reasons the Commerce Commission backed off, and the government hasn't really. Um, uh, contested it is that the supermarkets can put their hand up and say well if you want a, a food supply chain which is competent and delivers food to people well don't try and break it up <laughs> we're struggling <laughs> at the moment as it is with 10% of our staff at home and the last thing the nation needs is two supermarket supply chains that don't know who's in charge of how to get the lettuce um, onto the shelves yeah, it's kind of like the best of the best timing, but the worst timing. Because with with the inflation pressures that we're seeing, it would be a great time to really kick the supermarkets um, for six. Oh, I hit the supermarkets for six, but but also yes, you can see that that now is probably not the time to interfere with, with very complicated just in time supply chains. I have to say, um, I think the supermarkets are doing a great job um, uh, of, um, of of lifting their prices, but but of of, of keeping the, sh <laughs> the shelves stocked and they. Um, no, they certainly charge a pretty penny for it, but, but you know, for a small country at the end of the world, they've actually done a pretty good job uh, with, with this recent Omicron outbreak. 
Yeah, uh, and um, they also, for example, um, stuck with the mandates and uh, stuck with the mask policies and seem to have cooperated pretty closely with the government. Just um, while we're talking about cost of living, um, a quick look at these tax cuts and the supposed fiscal hole uh, debate which cropped up. Um, uh, Christopher Luxon had a sort of a strange State of the Nation address, March the sixth or whatever it was a few a few months into the year yeah. much delayed by <laughs> omicron and um barely mentions ukraine or omicron and and launches into the um reversing the tax grab thing what did you think of the speech and the um the reversal of the tax grab idea no, no i mean luxon was national is always going to go and do an election not bring a tax cut um you know it's, i don't think they've they've ever won um, an election in my lifetime without offering a tax cut. Um, I think, I, well, I was born in 1990 under the star of Parma. So I think they, that election there was the super, um, the question of a super, which they backtracked on. But I, I, other than that, <laughs> there have been tax cuts offered by national in most elections that they've, they've won. Um, so they, yes, they were always going to offer them. Um, I was surprised at the cost um, of it. Well, not surprised at the cost, but, you know, obviously this is a very costly policy, so I'm surprised they announced it so early because it basically chews up. I mean, unless they want to seriously go for broke and and, um, and forget the deficit, which they don't want to forget the deficit and, and forget um, debt, uh, the, the debt pile, which they don't want to do, they've, they've chewed through $1.7 billion before they've even got to election year. Um, and then, in the, and that doesn't even include the cost of um, removing the interest deductibility on on uh, on rentals, uh, or um, the reverse of the bright line test. Although I, I talked to National today, and they wouldn't commit to reversing the rent fencing of rental losses, which Labor brought in last term. Um, so that's one thing that they have actually budged on. It, it seems that they, they might they might bring that in, but they they're not committing to it. Um, I was in, uh, the other interesting thing, I guess, and it, it was. Uh, Brian Fellow had a good column in the Herald today um, about it, which is the, the lack of targeting of the of the cuts, and the, the government's made this, made this um, claim in the House as well as that people on low incomes are really getting, you know, single digit dollars a week. Um, people on high incomes um, are getting a lot more. Uh, I think I think the the maximum tax cut you get in a year is about a grand um, if you're on a high income. Um, so yeah, great news for <laughs> great news for them. Um, but rough, rough, rough for everyone else. And, and you know, you've got to say, Chris Luxon's been talking about inflation a lot, obviously, and and, and not criticising the number, of the, the sheer quantity of government spending. But he's been arguing that the government spending hasn't been targeted enough. And then he's come, out, then he comes out with a tax policy that, that fires sprays 1.7 billion dollars at 3.2 million taxpayers, which is about as untargeted as you can get. You know, I don't think, I don't think you can you can get less. Well, you could you could. You could give five or the team of five million money, but but yeah, so three point two million people is a lot of is not exactly targeted either. So, so there's most, that issue too. Mm, I don't think most, it's a fiscal hole though. To be fair to him, I don't. I think national the allegation that Grant Robertson made, which is that national used an out of date data set to calculate the, the impact of the tax cuts. I don't. The, the, the data set they used was the most late, the most up to date public data. So I, th I think. That sort of passes the sniff test in terms of the data being up to scratch. I think where they do open themselves up to allegations that there's a hole, um, 
but this is where they've, and they've been honest about this, is that they haven't costed out the cost of the reversing the um, interest deductibility and the bright line test changes. So they haven't costed those out and they have promised to do them. They haven't said when. So that's, you know, not exactly a whole, but I mean, they have to, they have to admit that, that the cost of those two policies will be in the billions um, by the time they get into government. So there's a $1 billion something. Is it a whole? Probably not. But there's a something lurking in their finances that they probably need to be upfront up about. Yeah, and we still don't know what their um, debt policy will be because um, unless you can tell us how you're going to get cut the taxes, where you're going to cut the spending, uh, and whether or not that means you're going to have higher or lower debt. Uh, yeah. That's the irony is that you could have a national government that was giving tax cuts funded by borrowing. <laughs> so uh, that's the um, that's the interesting thing there. Just to- My guess is that they'll trim the capital allowance. This is, it's a nice way, you know, you don't, I'd say I'd try and pull back on the on the capital allowance just to to, to trim a bit of the um the so so you can at least claim that you're you're cutting debt faster than later. Yeah, because infrastructure we've got plenty of that. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so. Um, well, I think that's going to be the interesting debate is that um is is uh, is is this question over like national and labour? Well, labour labour will want to make the allegation that national is cutting investment in schools and hospitals. Um, and uh, and so if they you know if they do that, um, that is a very strong argument to be made against national. Um, and national will obviously do not want to look like it's cutting investment in schools and hospitals. So I think that's that's where that fault line probably opens up at the next election is if national does try and trim debt faster, and they've been you know banging on about debt for a while, so they will want to trim debt faster. Labour will be able to say, well, actually, the the, the only way that you're really going to be doing, able to do that in a meaningful way is to trim the capital allowance, and that means schools and hospitals. Exactly, um, and we see there's another report this week that the actual cost of repairing the hospitals. Um, was not 15 billion it was 20 billion now as oh, as, you, as you'd expect <laughs> that one um, totally passed me by there were so many reports on the state uh, of our hospitals i hadn't uh, heard that number before uh, yeah 14 billion was the one i'd knocked up notched up in my that's been the number since 2018 yeah no it's um it's been a heck of a week what just finally how do you think the government might respond to this um milestone of of being behind in the um, first mainstream poll. Because we all forget Roy Morgan, good old faithful Roy, Roy Morgan, actually had this a couple of months ago. Yeah, Roy Morgan, the much maligned Roy Morgan, um, actually had this a couple of months ago. I would, yeah, I would, um, I'd, it's, they've been a bit scratchy in the house recently. I thought Labour, Labour have been a bit grumpy in the house. And that, that sort of suggests to me that they actually, that they should have prepared for this earlier. Like, like you know, you're a second term government, national is desperate to win. And at a certain point, they, they were always going to pull themselves together. So I'm surprised that they, they didn't actually, um, they didn't actually manage to uh, adjust themselves to like mentally adjust themselves to, to this point. What I do, what, what I would say for them is, is I think you, you're probably going to get into a 2005 kind of mode. Labour's problem is that they, they designed this, this budget, the $6 billion operating allowance budget, to be a budget to deliver when Judith Collins was leader of the National Party and National was polling at 20% or in the 20s. And that is going to be a big... Um, that's going to be a big problem for them when the budget is actually delivered because I think the budget is going to be very much not retail because this is the thing that Labour wanted to do and feels like it meaningfully had to do, um, but it could not do. 
um, it could not do for as long as well. But it, it could not do under New Zealand first coalition agreement uh, uh, when New Zealand first was in coalition with Labour. And it knew it couldn't do it in election year. This is the budget that it really had to deliver to be the Labour budget. Unfortunately, that probably means it's not uh, as retail as they probably want it to be. I think it's, too, it's all signed off in December last year, probably. So they, it's too late to change it. But I think Labour's going to pivot very quickly to, to some retail boondongle politics, interest-free student loans, that sort of stuff, the stuff that really saved Alan Clark's bacon in 2005. Um, I don't know where, I, I, I saw some people tweeting about free dental care the other day, something that is very retail, probably very expensive. Um, I don't well, think they, they'll be able to out-tax cut national, but I think that they'll, they'll be putting their heads together for something profoundly retail to sway people's minds. Well, one of the um, chunks of money that got that it's going bigger than they expected is the emissions trading scheme revenues um three and a half billion and probably even higher than that now because of the rising carbon cost they could use some of that money to reduce taxes on petrol yeah yeah uh, they could they will not <laughs> <laughs> this is the, but this is the crazy thing about this budget right and, and like you know national does make a point it's a very big budget because the six billion dollar operating allowance they say it's going to be spent on health and climate change, but the $6 billion is the operating allowance. It just comes, that's just the money that gets spent by the Crown account, uh, you know, the core consolidated funds of fund the government. It doesn't include the hypothecated ETS um, receipts, which would go to fighting climate change, which is, I think, four, four-ish billion dollars over four years. So, it's, it's, so you, can actually, you can actually argue that it's a $7 billion operating allowance, really, if you include the climate change stuff. It's, it's a huge budget. Um, I've, yeah, got to, I've got to reinvent myself as some sort of person who spends money on climate. A consultant, Bernard. <laughs> a consultant. Need to right. be a consultant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, thank you very much, Thomas. That was great fun. I'll let you get back to your uh, sunny Friday afternoon. Um, lovely to talk on a hoon of gallery wonks. I'm Bernard Hickey uh, on the Kaka. <laughs>